0: After the servant, let us sing from Psalm 25, Stances 2 and 6, teaching us the paths that we must take in life. Beloved congregation, brothers and sisters, at first glance, this passage offers us many difficulties. In the previous chapter, we are told how David spared the life of King Saul. Even though the Lord God had given King Saul into David's hands, he did not want to take his life. Saul was a wicked king. He had shed the blood of many innocent men, including the priests who faithfully served the Lord. God clearly was no longer with Saul. Samuel himself had said so. And yet David does not dare to lay his hand upon the Lord's anointed. He is even remorseful that he cut off a piece of his robe. But now look at this passage. It's almost as if we see a different man. It appears that David, in his encounter with Nabal, is now eager to shed blood. What Nabal did was nothing compared to King Saul. All Nabal did was to refuse David some food and drink. Yet David was ready to kill him and his whole household because of it. Isn't that contradictory in the least? And not only that, why should Nabal give anything to David? Oh sure, David protected Nabal's flocks and he did not harm him and his men in any way, but it does not state anywhere that Nabal asked for such protection. Also, isn't it David's moral duty to respect another person's property. No one should have to reward him for this. Should they? Furthermore, as far as Nabal is concerned, David is a man on the run. He is wanted by the authorities. Why should he have anything to do with him? If he helped him, Saul might even punish him for it and perhaps even kill him just like he did with the priests at Nob. Yet Abigail sees things completely differently. She acts in a completely different manner manner from her husband. She chooses in favor of David and does everything in her power to please him and to give him what he wants, supplying him with an abundance of food and drink. She treats him as an honored guest. She is utterly subservient to him. Why? And so this passage raises a lot of questions. How do we understand all this? Well, congregation, let us remember that all the people of Israel at this point are being put before a choice. Samuel had just died. As one man, they stood at his grave. All of Israel and Judah mourned his death. Samuel had been the last judge in Israel. He had been an instrument in God's hand to keep the nation together. God spoke through Samuel. Everyone was convinced of that as well. He was a most respected man of God. And so they looked to Samuel for leadership. But now, after the death of Samuel, there is somewhat of a vacuum. Oh, sure, Saul was the anointed king, but the people weren't so sure about him anymore. Was God going to continue to rule Israel through Saul and his house? They knew that God was no longer with them. They also knew, however, that God was with David. And so, the people are put before a choice. Should they follow David or should they follow Saul? That's not an easy choice. Life is often not full of easy choices. There are often difficult choices we have to make in life. Both Nabal and Abigail made their choice. The one chose for Saul and the other for David. As far as David was concerned, Nabal made the wrong choice and Abigail the right one. That is why according to David, Nabal had to be killed. What do you think, was David right about that? Did David make the right choice. And these are important questions to ask for time and again, we are also put before a choice. As we saw this morning, he puts us before choices every day of our life. Sometimes important choices. How do we choose? That's what I want to preach to you about. It's about the choice for king. First, we will look at Nabal's choice, and secondly, Abigail's choice, and finally, David's choice. As I said, it appears that Nabal did not really have any choice other than to ask as he did, to act as he did. David, from his perspective, was an intruder on his territory. Nabal was the legitimate heir of the property on which he lived. For we are told that Nabal was a Calebite, which means that he was a descendant of Caleb. And Caleb, as we know from Numbers 14, verse 24, had been given his inheritance at Carmel after the conquest of Canaan. And so the property had belonged to him and his family for hundreds of years. And now David comes along and his men and demand a portion of the fruit of his land. And he asks that at the time that Nabal was shearing the sheep. Now, such a time, as it says in verse 8, was always a feast time, a festification, And that is why some years later, Absalom, David's, David's son, also invited his brothers and sisters to his place at a time of sheep shearing. It was a time of celebration and sharing together with family and friends and with your neighbors. And that's what David also expected at this moment. He considered himself to be a good neighbor of Nabal. After all, he had respected Nabal's property and his men. And furthermore, David and his men were hungry and thirsty. Since they had to be on the run most of the time, they did not have time to grow and hunt food. And so they go to Nabal to ask him to share. That wouldn't have been hardship for Nabal for we are told in verse two that he was a very rich and wealthy man. He owned a thousand goats, three thousand sheep, and he was also wealthy enough, as it says in verse 36, that he could hold a banquet like a king. Nabal had an abundance of possessions, but what happens? Although David's men greeted him in a most cordial and courteous manner, Nabal was not in a generous mood. On the contrary, he turns David and his men down with a curt and insulting answer. He says to them, who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? Nabal of course knew very well who David was. And David had been around there for quite some time already. He had had contact with his men over many months, and no doubt Nabal's men will have also reported that to him. And furthermore, David's exploits were also very well known at that time. The whole country had been talking about him, how first he had defeated Goliath, And then as commander in Saul's army, how he had defeated more men than Saul himself. And so it came about, as it says in 1 Samuel 18, verse 6, that all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. It even says in verse 30 of that same chapter that David's name became well known. Additionally, by this time he had become widely recognized already as Israel's future king. Jonathan, Saul's son, knew that as a fact, and no doubt, except in the presence of his father, he will not have kept quiet about it. Jonathan loved David and did everything to protect and to promote his name. The servants of Achish, the king of Gath, also knew about David, for at one point they said to Achish in 1 Samuel 21 verse 11, isn't this David the king of the land? Even Saul himself, as we saw in the previous chapter, as we saw this morning, expected David to become king. And so David was already recognized as such. But now Nabal asked the question, who is this David? Who is this son Of Jesse. Why would he say this? Well, no doubt to heap contempt upon him. Who is this David? As far as I'm concerned, he's a man of no account. I don't want anything to do with him. Nabal made his choice. He chose against David and in favor of Saul. It doesn't state exactly what Nabal's motivations were, but it appears that it had a lot to do with the bottom line. For, De- for Nabal, this was an economic decision. He was not interested in upsetting the status quo. He liked things just the way they are. Under Saul, he had been able to maintain his position in Israel and to protect his property. To help David in any way would put his property and perhaps even his life at risk. And David was not worth it. And we read that David is so angry when he hears about Nabal's insulting answer that he tells his men to put on their swords. He wants to put Nabal and his men to the sword to death. But then Abigail comes upon the scene. She makes a different choice and she saves the day. It's the second point. When David heard from one of her servants that David is about to avenge himself She immediately goes into action. It says she made haste. She took along 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already prepared, five sires, which is about 37 liters of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs. That's a lot of food and drink. And she sends her servants ahead of her with those gifts. Abigail is a courageous and wise woman that shows not only from her actions, but also from the words that she speaks. She realizes disaster is about to fall upon her household. And how do you act in such a situation? Well, you do that by making the right choice. Abigail realizes, however, that no matter what choice she would make, it would be a dangerous one. By currying David's favor, she would put her life in danger, first of all, with Saul and his men, and secondly, with her own husband. Nabal was not a nice man. On the contrary, he was mean. We read about that in verse three, where it says that he was harsh and badly behaved. Nabel could make life very difficult for his wife if she went against him. Nevertheless, she does. She is convinced that what she is about to do is right, even if she lost everything by making that decision. For she does not do this in the first place to save her own skin and the skin of her own family. No, as we will see, she is convinced that this is the right thing before the Lord. She firmly believes that by going to David, she is an instrument in God's hand. For you see, David is very angry and she knows that for his sake and for her sake and above all, for the Lord's sake, that she has to calm him down and make him change his plans. How do you make people change direction? How do you make them change their minds? That's often a dilemma also for office bearers. How do we change somebody's way of thinking, especially when they are going the wrong way in their life? Do you do that by directly confronting them with what they are doing wrong? No that usually is not a good idea, for then you become across as arrogant and all-knowing and judgmental, And so usually that doesn't work. You only do that as a last resort. But what do you do? Well, you try to understand where the other person is coming from. There are reasons why people do the things that they do. And you try to look at it from their perspective. And that takes insight, and it takes patience, and it takes wisdom, and it takes a listening ear. And so, what does Abigail do? Well, she knows, as it says in Proverbs 15, that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but that a harsh word stirs up anger. And therefore, she does the opposite of what her husband did he was arrogant. She is humble. He was aggressive. She is gentle. He was unyielding and stubborn and unkind. She was open and honest and kind. Look at what she does. As soon as she meets David, she gets off her donkey and bows down before him with her face to the ground. She also calls him my Lord. She treats him as her superior and with respect she even takes the blame she even takes the blame for what happened upon herself she is humble and she says that it is all her fault of course not true and david also knows that but by stating this she makes david realize how serious the situation is for her and everything that belongs to her She wants David to think about the consequences of his intended actions. And then she says that her husband is just like his name. His name is fool and folly goes with him. For that is what the name Nabal means in Hebrew, fool. You might say, well, why does she do this? Is this not disloyalty or duplicity on her past, on her part? No, not really. For she is convinced in her heart and mind that David is a servant of the Lord and that her husband is dead wrong. As she says to David in verse 28, you are fighting the battles of the Lord. She also says that the Lord will certainly make David a sure house. That is, he will make a lasting dynasty for him, as the NIV has it. You see, Abigail recognizes David as the future king of Israel. And she knows that that is the will of the Lord. And you may say, well, how does she know that? How does she know that David is destined to be king? Well, Abigail is a godly woman. She is a spiritual woman. And she knows how to spiritually interpret the things that were happening around her. She realized, for example, the significance of what happened not so long ago when David went to Samuel at Naoth in Rama. You can read about that in the last chapter of chapter in the last part of chapter nineteen. Perhaps you could read that on your own sometime. At that time, it was made clear to all those who were there that the Lord had chosen David to be king and that Saul had lost it. For what happened? Well, when Saul heard that David was with Samuel, he sent a group of men to capture David. But when these men saw a group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as their leader, then the Spirit of God also came upon Saul's men who also began to prophesy. And they were not able to capture David because of it. But then David sent some more men, but they prophesied as well. And the same thing happened a third time. Finally, Saul went himself. And then God protected David once again for God's spirit also came upon Saul so that he too was rendered powerless. Saul stripped off his robes and prophesied. And no doubt all of Israel heard about this. This was a clear indication to the people of Israel that Samuel and therefore also God protected David. God was with him. And so... Abigail knew that God was with David and that he was going to be king in one way or the other. But she also knew that David was about to make a terrible mistake if he were to avenge himself on Nabal. This was not the Lord's will. She had to change his mind. It would be disastrous if she didn't. For what else does she do? She states in verse 26, that the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. It's amazing actually that she says this for at this point, David had not yet decided to avenge himself. He was still intent on doing away with Nabal, yet she acts as if he had already decided not to go ahead with it. Why would she do that? Well, to make him think and to reflect on what he is about to do. That's how she expects him to behave, with wisdom and understanding and compassion and restraint. Why? Because David is a child of the Lord. And that is why she also calls upon God's covenant name She appeals to him as a brother in the Lord not to make this terrible mistake that he is about to make. And so on that brings us to the third point. How does David respond? For David also has to make a choice. He either chooses the way of the flesh or he chooses the way of the spirit. He either gives in to his anger or he gives in to the Lord. Thankfully, David chooses for the Lord. He chooses God's spirit to move him. He says to her, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion. And blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. So David agrees with her. God's spirit worked through her. She made him realize that what he was about to do was wrong. She made him realize this, especially through the words that she spoke. She told him that the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for him. And she tells him that even though someone may be seeking his life, that the Lord himself will nevertheless securely bind him in the bundle of the living. God is going to do these things. In effect, she's saying, David, let God take care of Nabal. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Wait for the Lord to act. He will protect you. He will make you king in his day. Isn't that what God had already promised? David, you must act in faith. And David accepts her words with a humble heart. He knows that she is right. He must wait for the Lord. And that's why the Lord so often says too that David is a man after God's own heart because David repents time and again and humbles himself. That's hard to do, isn't it? That's hard for you and for me as well. we are full of pride And we like to take things into our own hands. We want to make things happen. And we do that, especially when we are still young. It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait for marriage. And so let's act if we're already husband and wife together. Or it's hard to wait for your business to prosper. And so let's help things along a little bit by lowering our ethical standards. It's hard to wait for others to act and to get rid of a certain person who's impossible to get along with. And so let's help things along by slandering him or her or by plotting against him or her behind their back. At this point, David was on the wrong track, for he acted as if he was already king. He didn't wait for the Lord in this instance. For that reason, he saw the dealings of Nabal as insubordination. From his perspective, he saw it as an act of rebellion against the king. For as king, he has the right to the taxes of the land. As king, he has the right to have a portion of the produce of the land. Nabal had to give that to him. He should have realized with whom he is dealing here. He was not just dealing with some renegade, with a rebel. No, Nabal was dealing here with the anointed of the Lord who was going to be king. The problem was, however, that David was not yet officially and publicly made king. That still had to happen. And soon enough it does happen for it does not take all that long and the Lord takes Saul's lives in battle. But in the meantime, David had to be patient. Suppose David had taken the life of Nabal and his men. This would legitimately have been seen as an act of rebellion against King Saul. And this would have been ammunition in the hands of David's enemies. This would have given Saul more ammunition to kill David. It would also have made David's life as king more more difficult later on. He would have been seen as a man who took things into his own hands and who did not want to wait for the Lord to act. He would have been seen as someone who acted according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. And so Abigail was a very wise and astute woman. And above all, she was a spiritual woman. She wanted, most of all, to do the will of the Lord, no matter what the cost would be. And she also wanted David to do the will of the Lord. And in this way, she was an instrument in God's hand to further the line of David, and thereby also the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nabal and Abigail were both put before a choice and so was the rest of Israel and Judah. What was it going to be? Saul or David? Those who chose for David chose for the Lord God. But to chose for David carried with it many risks. You could lose your property. You could even lose your life. But what is worse, by making the wrong choice and by continuing to go along on such a path, you could lose your eternal life. As I said at the beginning, the Lord also puts us New Testament believers before a choice. At the time of the Lord Jesus, the people had to decide, Barabbas or Jesus, who's it going to be? The people have to decide, are we going to take the side of the Pharisees or are we going to take the side of the Lord Jesus and those who belong to him? What's it going to be? And then it is not which is the safest choice, but which is the choice that pleases the Lord. That's also the way it is for us. You always have to choose for the Lord first, no matter what the cost. And we should ask in whatever circumstances, do we choose according to the spirit or according to the flesh? Do we want to further our own cause or do we want to further God's cause? Are we interested in maintaining our earthly riches or our heavenly riches? What will it be? Those are the kinds of choices you and I have to make. Not just at critical times, but every day. Every day God puts us before a decision. What shall I do in this or that circumstance? We always have to ask ourselves this question. Am I going to follow the way of the flesh, the way of man, or am I going to follow the way of God? How? Do I glorify God in this? Some of you may think that this is a minion, but is it? No. For us Reformed people, we know that we too have to make choices, but that once we have made the right decision, that we cannot boast in ourselves, for it is always the Lord who works it in our hearts. The glory is to Him alone. But He does want you and me to make choices at all times. And he wants us to choose for him time and time again. Love, congregation, the Lord God wants you and me to walk a straight line. The road to damnation is a wide road. It is an easy road for it goes the way of least resistance. It uses what you think is best for the moment. It wants to please the flesh. It wants to feed your anger. It wants to feed your rebellious nature. The road to salvation is a straight and narrow road. And sometimes, more often than not, it's hard. To take that road, there are costs involved. But it's the road that leads to salvation. Walking on that road gives you peace, It gives you a place in God's kingdom. Saul and Nabal, just think about what happened to them. They became bitter and angry and ultimately condemned men. There was no peace in their lives. Abigail and David were children of God, even though they were sinful people, God continued to bring them back on the right path on that path of salvation in the kingdom of God. What road are you taking in life, brother and sister, boys and girls? What kind of choices are you making? Think about that. At one time, Joshua also put the people before a choice. He said in Joshua 24 verse 15, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love it when I see that text on people's walls or in bedrooms or in buildings. As for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. Let that always be your choice, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, time and again. And the Lord will also bless you and he will give you peace. Amen.